We've been there for uh, several weeks, and so I want to encourage you to get your Bible, uh, turn there with me, Luke chapter 18. And I want to, as we close out this kind of parable, what I want to do this morning for just a little while, I want to talk to you on the subject of enduring faith, faith that perseveres in every furnace, every challenge, everything that happens in your life, and it's a faith that persevere, and it proves that your faith is real, that it's genuine, and it'll continue until what some call final salvation, okay? Some theologians would call that the consummate end of salvation. We want to talk about a faith today that begins by the grace of God, and through every trial that comes, Every battle you got to fight, it endures and perseveres until that moment when Jesus comes and ends it all and gets us out of all this mess. Huh? When I uh, first started studying Luke 18, the reason I kind of went there, it was because of a question that Jesus asked, and it's a question we're going to deal with today. I didn't know that it was going to take me four weeks of deep study to get to the question and try to answer the question, uh, but it's been intriguing for me. Here's the question that we're going to deal with. Here's a question that we'll read that Jesus asks us, okay? He says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? When I return... Will I find faith on the earth? Now, what do you think, gang? You want me to ask you to raise your hand? No. Don't answer, but think about it. When he comes back, will he find faith? It's a question that at first doesn't even seem to fit the parable. Jesus tells us a parable, and at the end, he kind of throws out the question. However, when you begin to dig a little bit, it, it does make sense. Now, actually, I think it's what is called a, a rhetorical question. It's a question that really doesn't even need to be answered because it's obvious. But let me tell you why I think Jesus asked the question. He didn't ask it for us to speculate. He didn't ask it for us to think about whether there would be. I think Jesus asked the question not because of speculation. I think he asked it for examination, more specifically, self-examination. Will there be faith? Yes. I don't think that's what he's getting at. But I do think he's getting at something like this. If Jesus Christ... We're to return right now. If Jesus Christ were to come even before we kick Chris out the door, we won't do that. Would he find you in faith? And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Let's take our Bibles. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. And let's read, beginning Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And then let me share 
what God has kind of stirred my heart about, laid on my heart, okay? Verse 1. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying that in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God, nor respect man. Yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, literally, she says, she will, or he says he, she will give me a black eye. And then Jesus kind of explains it. Here's what he says. Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect? who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. And then here's the question. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Father, in these next few moments, help us to get our head around this subject of faith and what Jesus is trying to get across to us. God, I pray it may liberate some of us. I pray it may convict some of us. But I pray in all that it will bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Be seated, okay? Now let me just kind of remind you for just a moment the context of the passage, okay? And the context is that Jesus is referring to the end of the age. He's talking about that time when the Son of Man returns. Now, he told us in chapter 17, it's going to be a day both of challenge and a day when normal things are going on. And we talked about that, didn't we? A day of challenge, a day of Noah, and the day of Lot, a time when there's great challenge on the earth, a day when, when people are continually turning away from God, and we know that's what's happening, right? We live in challenging times. But Jesus emphasized not the challenge. Jesus emphasized here that it'll be a, a normal time when people are living normal or ordinary lives, and they're living it and trying to do their best during days of swirling disregard for God, anti-God attacks. And beloved, all we've got to do is look around to see that. And so in verse 1, we're giving some instructions. What do we do in these kinds of situations? What do we do in this kind of circumstance? Well, Luke in chapter 1 tells us that we're to pray and we're to persevere. By prayer, he means that our confidence must be in God alone. Gang, you're not going to get confidence in uh, the circumstances swirling around you. You're not going to get confidence when you look around at what's going on and the situation in our nation, in our world. And so the first thing Luke tells us is if this is going on, 
then we must pray, and by prayer we must boldly come to God, and our confidence must be not in man, not in a preacher, not even in each other. Our confidence must be in God alone. And then he tells us to persevere. And if you remember, I, I define that. Literally here, it means that we are not to give in to evil. If we're living in an evil world and if there's evil all around us, one of the things that we who belong to God must do is never give in to it through discipline, through devotion to God. We must stand our ground. We must not succumb to the pressures that's all around us, okay? Now, why should we do that? Well, that's what the parable tried to explain to us. The reason we shouldn't do that is because God is just. God always comes to the rescue of his chosen ones. Jesus used the word elect here, and I'll explain that. Why should we not? Because God is just. God always does what is right because it's his nature. God can't operate outside of his nature. God is holy. He always does what is holy. God is love. God always does what is loving. may not be always the easiest, but it's always the loving. God cannot lie. It's against his nature to lie. God is just. God always does right in your life. And the parable tells us that he will bring justice to his elect speedily, maybe not in our time frame, but is in his time frame. Now, that leads me to what I want to talk to you about for a few moments this morning, true faith. And I want to begin by, by maybe giving you a, a statement that maybe you can get your head around a little bit, okay? I've already mentioned to you that, that we Christians live in challenging times. Gang, every Christian of every generation has lived in challenging times. Every believer has always had a furnace in their life. And so here's what I want to give to you. It is in the furnace that true faith is always demonstrated, and it is in the furnace that true faith is always honed. In the furnace you find if what you have is really true. It is in the furnace that makes you determine whether what you, your faith is genuine or not. And it is in the faith. When you're in the furnace, where your life is polished and honed, to be what God wants it to be. Now, that doesn't mean there's not going to be pain. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be heartache. But it is in the furnace that the diamond endures to the end. And listen to me for just a moment. I, and I, certainly, I, I don't want to be harsh or anything. But those that don't endure, those that fall away, those that compromise prove that they never had it from the start. 
And I believe one of the great challenges that, that we face in our nation and that we're facing in our churches today is that there's this, there's this fallen, it, it's not easy being a Christian, right? And there's challenges living the Christian life. And so what we're finding is those who at one time maybe uh, professed it really have never possessed it. And so they're beginning to fall away. And beloved, it's proof that they never had it from the start. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be moments when there's slippage. That doesn't mean that there's not even perhaps going to be a season when there's some slippage. But I believe those who are true and those who are genuine are going to have it proved in the furnace, and there'll always be the perseverance of the saints. Now, for those who fall away, maybe they came because it was a release of guilt for a time. Maybe they were disturbed about life. Things weren't working for them. And so they came and they, they heard a preacher or they turned on TV and they heard a preacher and they were driven by this guilt and all of a sudden there may have been this best life forward type idea. And so they got out of the guilt for a moment. But then when the fire hit, they went back. Perhaps they were involved in something where there was a, a feeling-driven thing or an emotional burst of energy, and they felt really good about what they needed to do, and so they did what they were told to do. And for a while, it worked really good for them. But all of a sudden, there's this furnace that begins to get cranked up a little bit, and pretty soon they fall away because they never had the real thing to start with. Perhaps for some, maybe, it was even a conviction of sin for a time. But it wasn't birth out of regeneration that leads to repentance and faith. And it always leads, that which is true always leads to the demonstration of the chosen of God. I want you to know that the elect endure for all time. And I hope somehow you can get your head around that because I think we need self-examination at times. I think, well, let me just tell you what Mies thinks. Me thinks that it's healthy for all of us to look in the mirror from time to time. And really ask ourselves, if Jesus were to come today, would he find me in the faith? Now let me give you some statements that I believe about true faith. Okay, I'm going to give you three statements. I'm going to spend more time on the first one, and then the second two will wrap up pretty quick. Okay. The first statement I want to give to you is this, that, that I believe that faith, is always a response to the call of God. Faith is a response to the call of God. When Jesus explained this parable, he used the word elect, and sometimes that word scares us. If you're a Baptist, okay, and someone stands in the pulpit and they say the word elect, all of a sudden, sometimes we get a little afraid of that. It shouldn't scare us 
It's a word that should encourage us. It's a word which means literally to pick out. Better would be a word which means to choose. Now, gang, it's a word that shows us that salvation can never be achieved by merit. It's a word that shows us that salvation can never be achieved by any work of man or any good deed of man or any good climbing of a ladder by man. You don't become born again because of good deeds. That's what that word means. When you read what Paul wrote in the book of Titus, he says it's not by works of righteousness we've done, but it's according to his mercy that he has saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You are justified, the Bible tells us, according to the kind intentions of the will of God. That's in the book of James, the most practical book in the New Testament. You are justified according to the kind intentions of the will of God. He declares you not guilty, and he deposits into your account, his righteousness. And beloved, you are saved as a response to his gracious call. And I believe, frankly, anybody who really sees their sin and anybody who understands the con their condemnation that their sin justifiably brings, when they hear the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, they will run to the Savior for forgiveness. For you see, when a man who is a lawbreaker understands what the law demands and realizes that only one could keep the law, and it is the man Christ Jesus, it is that point that the lawbreaker will run to the law fulfiller, the law completer, and that is Jesus. Now I'm going to give you three terms. We're going to throw them up on, I said to the first group, I keep calling it a blackboard, uh, but it's not, it's not even a whiteboard now, it's a screen, okay? I'm going to give you three terms that we're going to throw up there for you, okay? First of all, I think saving faith, true faith that Jesus talks about, there's an objectivity to it, okay? Objectivity of faith, the eye of faith sees it. Gang, faith in anything or faith in anyone must always be seen in the object of that trust. When it comes to saving faith, it can't be in something you work up from within because there's nothing good within you. The Bible tells us that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Our faith must be in some object. The object is Jesus Christ. It is in him we see the complete righteousness of the substitute, the one who took our place of condemnation, the one who has the only ability to satisfy the penalty demanded of the law. You see, gang, the objectivity of faith is that it's not in you, it's in him. It's in who he is. It is in what he has. And it is what he gives to you through grace so that when, you, when you're dealing with issues of faith, you're saying, it's not me and how good I may be, it's him. 
and how good he already is. And he gives it by the gracious call of sovereign grace into your heart. There's the objectivity of faith. Secondly, there's the factuality of faith. I had to come up with that word. I Probably not even a word, but I liked it, okay? The factuality of faith. The head of faith begins to understand or understands it. The facts of salvation are understood. We accept them as true mentally. In our head, in our brain, we understand that we are sinners. And Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Theologians would call that intellectual assent to the truth of who Christ is, that he is God, what he has done, that he is the only one who could proclaim that I have kept the law perfectly. And you've got to not only understand there is the object of faith, Jesus, but you have to understand the facts of it in your head. Then there is what's called, I call it anyway, the reliability of faith. The heart of faith believes this. This deals with repentance, and this deals with trust. When we understand it is not me, it is Jesus and everything about Jesus, and I understand the facts of it, there has to be a surrender of it. There has to be repentance and faith toward it. And this is where I call it the reliability of faith. This is where we respond to truth. This is where we trust and have reliance in Christ alone. Furthermore, let me stress, on Him alone, without any cooperation or involvement of our works, we are justified through faith alone, absent of self. It's hard to understand maybe for us. Somehow we feel like we've got to live a certain way or we've got to climb a certain ladder or somehow in our minds we think that judgment day is still going to be these giant scales. So therefore we've got to cooperate or we've got to help God along in the process. Justification by faith means you're saved by Jesus alone according to grace alone in accordance to the word of God alone. Because it's what he did and he alone did upon the cross of Calvary. And any time you put a mixture of man in that, any time you mix any kind of, of work of man, even if it's good intention to man, then it ceases to be solely of grace through faith. And we're not saved. And I think that's where we are in many circles today. It's all a response. Don't be afraid of the word elect, folks. If you're saved, God's chosen you before the foundation of the world. Do you have to repent? Yes. Do you have to believe? Yes. But I want to tell you, those who have been elected by grace are the ones who will stand on the rooftop. I believe it was Spurgeon said, you ought to stand on the rooftop and proclaim to the world, I'm a sinner. God saves sinners. Are you a sinner? God will save you. And when God saves you, everything changes, everything. If any man be in Christ, the Bible says, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. If the old has not passed away, gang, if the old is still kind of rocking along with you, can I tell you, you're still there in your sin. And 
if Jesus were to return today, he would not find faith in you. And you wouldn't spend eternity with him. Well, I believe this, that saving faith is a response to the call of God. All right, secondly, I believe it's a resolve to the compassion of God. If you noticed in our parable that we studied, in the parable the widow kept coming to not a just judge. This is a, a contrast here, right? Remember? He kept coming to an unjust, she kept coming to an unjust judge. There was no compassion. There was no love. There was no relationship. And so Jesus in his explanation says, how much more will we who belong to God cry day and night? And how quickly will he come to rescue us? Let me ask you a question. How do you know? How do you know if a person has saving faith? Think about that with me a minute. How do you know that a person is living with saving faith? Help me out. How do you know that? Chris, you're leaving here. Put you on the spot, bro. You already tried to steal our people. Okay? How do you know if a person's got saving faith? You watch them. That's good theology, dude. Yeah, you watch them, huh? You look for some fruit. I got plum trees in my backyard. Guess what? There's plums on them. There's not apples on them. How do I know they're plum trees? Dude, they got plums, right? How do you know if you're saved? How do you know if what you got is the real McCoy? You watch them. You watch their life. In the parable, we, we, we day and night cry to him. We run to him. We long for him. We worship him. We love him. That's how you know. We're faithful to him. That's how you know. Over the holidays, I went home and I went to see. I've got an aunt that's, that's 93 years of age. 93. Okay? She can't hardly see anymore. And I, I sat down with Aunt Pauline and... We were just talking. She wants me to do her funeral when she dies, and she may be doing mine. I mean, I think she's going to outlast me, you know. And, uh, and I was talking with my aunt, and she said, Oh, Tommy, Tommy, you got to come see. Man, you got to come see what I got. So she brought me into her mobile home, and, and when you walk in, there's this big screen TV. And in front of the TV, there's a table. On the table is a Bible. Now, gang, listen, we're talking about a well-worn, we're talking about a Bible that's got yellow pages, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Underlined, old Bible. On the Bible, there's this thing, it looks like a, a computer mouse. As you saw, 93 years of age, so excited, she said, watch me, watch me. And she takes the mouse and she sticks it on the Bible, up on the TV comes the Bible. And she just runs over it, look at this verse. And it's all in, 90, how do you know that you know that you know they're saved? Why would a 93-year-old woman who's lived her life, how do you know she, she's got a burn for God and his word in her belly? 
She just can't get away from it. Gang, I want to tell you, the elect of God are hot and heavy after the things of God. And I believe my aunt will burn for God till she's a hundred if God lets her. And I believe every day that mouse, whatever it is, will be on the Bible. And the Bible will be on the screen. And she'll worship herself right in. It wouldn't surprise me to find when they get her, her head's laid down on the Bible, and the Bible's on the screen. How do you know you watch them, don't you, Chris? What would cause a man to leave the greatest church in the United States of America? <laughs> that you would never want to leave to go to Pleasant Grove. What would... God. Huh? I mean, I've been out there, dude. You went for a heck of a trouble. No, I tell you something, I'm picking. No, it's going to be great, man. <laughs> it's going to be so great. <laughs> no, it's going to be. <laughs> what would cause? What would cause a guy for 13 years, a family for 13 years, to march out? Because faith is a response to the compassion of God. When you know God loves you, and you know it's through a cross, and you know it's through blood, that he shed his blood, there's something inside that drives you on. There's something inside, beloved, that won't let you go. And those who let go, they never had it. Or at least they're so ignorant they don't understand it. Because this gal kept running to a, a rotten judge. How much more would the people of God run to he that is just and always comes to the aid of those he loves? Jesus calls the elect. I want to tell you something. The saved never quit. Hear me. The saved never quit. Will they have problems? You betcha. But they never quit. They endure to the end. And the Bible talks that like this, and they shall be saved. And if we endure, dear beloved sister and brother, we will reign with him. And how could we not if God's love is shed abroad in our hearts? Yeah, we'll have the trouble moments. We'll have our sad ache moments. We'll have our heartache and tear moments. We'll have our tragedies just like the rest. But God's love constrains us and it drives us onward. One last thing then we'll be through, okay? I believe that true faith is a response to the call of God. I believe that true faith is a result of the compassion of God. Number three, I believe that true faith is a reward to the character of God. Notice in, in that parable there and here's what Jesus said, God will bring about justice. God will not delay long. He will bring justice for them speedily. Now, it may seem like a long time for us who must live here in these days of Noah and days of Lot, but oh, dear child of God, listen, oh, dear child of God, oh, in just a little while, the Redeemer cometh. When the Redeemer cometh, he bringeth his reward with him. 
And I tell you this is true because of the very character of God is at stake. The very nature of God. And God cannot lie. When he comes, he'll bring his reward with him. The word of God says it. It must be true. I believe it is true. And so I say, even so, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Well, let's bow our heads for just a moment. Stu's going to come and...